Welcome to another episode of Video Game Logic. Today's episode was recorded on September the 24th, 2019. I'm your host, gaming psychologist, and with me, as always, he's footloose and fancy free. And I'm the Caffeine Rage. On today's show, we will be discussing the games that we played this week. We're going to be going over the September Game Club, which was Donut County. We're going to be talking about the next couple of game clubs. The Chronicle Power Armor Helmet Collectible is being recalled. We'll have a weekly community corner and a Steam weekly discovery queue. Timestamps will be in your show notes following their respective topics. Hello, Rage. Hello. How are you doing? Pretty good. Throat, as always, a little scratchy. And I'm sleepy for reasons I can't quite figure out, but it's probably... Oh, just the plague. Yeah, the plague. I probably have caught the plague between the sick people that stayed at my house this weekend and Mm -hmm. my newest minion at at work was sick today so we uh probably will finish recording at roughly the same time we usually do but we're starting very late we had a a good little old record about some stuff with craig but yeah a little bit of political stuff for the franken content this week we did not i had another weird weekend like not quite in the same way but I said, you know, sick people that stayed at my house. One of my, one of our friends, and two of her three children were sick, and her husband was working late, like gone on a trip, I think, actually. And so she was like, "Can I come stay with you guys?" Because we live just a few minutes away from both the local urgent care clinic and the hospital. So, and it was the weekend, so you know her kid regular doctor and pediatrician were closed so she was like if i need something we're right there and we talked it over and said yes so i had three sick people in my house this weekend i hit out played with the the two non-sick children which was my kid and her oldest kid so we had a good time but so that means i did not play as many games as i intended i had started a couple and we've each got sort of a shared one, but yeah, yeah, I only have the shared one and the game club because I had a big date over the weekend. So I was gonna say, did you want to talk about your weekend or? Uh, well, uh, my girlfriend Anita, we spent a lot of time together and had a great time. So, yay, having a good weekend, doing fun stuff, yeah. Yeah, it turns out uh, taking a science teacher to a uh, science museum makes her very happy. Science museums are just super cool, though. <laughs> I'm ge- I'm gonna just going to flat out say that. You probably get a uh, nice yeah. bonus by being a science teacher. Oh, uh, as- yeah, she absolutely enjoyed it. Yeah. It, it was it was adorable watching her <laughs> uh, go through the exhibits and uh, really uh, put away a few ideas to, for their kids, her uh, students. Yeah. I, uh, as an person, I enjoy science museums and other things like that. So I imagine, like, if that's part of your career and or passion, there would be some nice extra benefits that go with that. Oh, yeah. Including finding cool projects for your, your kids slash students. Yeah, and she's a very dedicated teacher, so 
yeah, she was spending a lot of time just uh, touring around with different exhibits, and uh, you could see the gears working, you know? Yeah. Yep, that sounds like a more fun time to me. Yeah, it, yeah, and uh, I enjoyed it as well because I do like my science, yeah. So, yeah, it, it wasn't just a... Uh, oh, oh, well, I took her to the science museum and, you know, kind of just held back. No, I enjoyed it as well. It was a, a great time for the both of us. And I didn't want to imply that either. Nice. All smiles. Still all smiles. Um. Yeah, do you know who D.B. Cooper is? Uh, he... Uh, was a hijacker in the 60s that, or he, uh, was a bank robber that hijacked a plane and disappeared, if I, if I recall correctly. Yeah. My, my, there's, um, a YouTube channel that my kid has found, and I forget what the name of the channel is, but he calls it Adventure Time, but it's not Adventure Time, like the show, TV show Adventure Time. But this dad and his kids are obsessed with D.B. Cooper. And so my kid has, like, learned a ton of stuff about D.B. Cooper. Yeah, D.B. Cooper. uh, uh, He uh, basically disappeared in the uh, Pacific Midwest uh, with just a a ton of money. And they never found him or the money, actually. Yeah. As far as I know. No, they have not. Um, But that's my kid that was one of the things we did is he went took us on adventures looking for db cooper's money <laughs> and i mean he's five so i'm not going to be like hey kid we're probably not going to find db cooper's money in our backyard yeah, yeah but, especially uh uh considering it was in the airspace between portland oregon and seattle washington yeah that's probably not going to happen but that was that was part of the adventures we went on we went hunting for db cooper at the park and in my backyard and around the neighborhood and at the gym a few other places. So that was <laughs> oh, the, the power of imagination, huh? Indeed, indeed. Um, I'm going to try not to deviate too much. Whenever we have fewer topics, the uh, tendency to sort of ramble comes up. Try not to do that too much this week, but we well, shall more see so how than long... usual, I guess I should say. Yeah, we shall see though how long the topics that we have go for. And while there have been several opportunities to transition smoothly into the games we played this week, I'm just going to, like, force us, as I usually do. Um, Yeah, because the power of the segue is completely lost on you. It is indeed. Do you want to talk about our shared game first, or do you want me to talk about my one single revisit, and then we can talk about the shared game? Uh, It's up to you, because it sounded like you were pretty excited for the revisit, though. Okay. Then I'll go ahead and talk about Airline Manager Tycoon 2019 again. So I talked about this game last week. It was the mobile game, which I discussed as being a very in-depth management game, whether you manage an airline. Um, Many, most of the aspects of the airline, from research to aircraft purposes, or aircraft purchases, um, different types and classes of passenger transportation, cargo, loans, micromanaging your flight uh, schedules and things down to the the last minute. Man, this game, I, I played it for about three hours over the weekend. A mobile game that I played for like three hours, 
I spent so much time micromanaging my flights. I think I said last time, like, I was figuring some stuff out. I mostly was using the auto scheduler. So this weekend I got into the nitty gritty and started really trying to maximize uh, aircraft efficiency. Like, I tried to get all of my aircraft above 90% usage because, you know, some flight times don't line up quite properly. And even if you stagger and... um you know, put in like one odd route to try and maximize or whatever. Like you still might not get a hundred percent usage and that doesn't account for when the aircraft are down for maintenance. But I spent, I ran my phone dead. Like I didn't have it plugged in. (laughs) So I I actually played it until my phone, like the little warning came up at like 5% battery or whatever. And I was like, Oh, I guess I've been laying in my bed playing this for a long time now. So the, uh, the system, it, it takes a little bit, like, I mean, it's designed for a phone interface, so sometimes things are a little bit weird compared to how I would expect them to be if this was a PC game, but I figured out how to save and copy um, different schedules and flight paths for planes and apply them to multiple planes at the same time to save time. Um, I figured out how the system works. I mentioned that it gives a projection of how much demand there is for, for example, economy versus business class. And I got into cargo. There's uh, demand for cargo as well. Um, so I, I got into micromanaging that and customizing the, um, what does it call them? The, the layout of the planes, sort of the seating. Because um, you can do that, but I was mostly just configuring, getting the planes in their stock configuration. But, I mean, you can customize them. So I was creating aircraft that... Uh, hit more business class or more first class based on the demand that a route has because maybe two major business centers or not business centers, maybe two large cities has a much higher uh, business class demand than say a a tiny rural airport that you're feeding into your hub. So configuring planes and setting up routes and saving them so that I could apply them to future planes. Um, The cargo transportation is a little bit wonky to set up, um, the demand for cargo is much, much smaller than passengers, which makes sense, I think, just based on what I know about shipping and transportation in the real world. While there's plenty of freight that goes by air, it's very expensive um, and is typically only used for really fast um, you know, overnight travel or for urgent things. So while there might be you know, I, I might need a dozen smaller planes to service an entire route for passengers. One single plane will do it for cargo. So initially I bought way too many cargo planes. Had to sell some of those back at a big loss. Trying to figure out how to maximize routes. I only have one option for a cargo plane, so I'm very limited on the routes that I can fly. Because I can only do really close airports to one another. So just figuring out how to deal with all of those things and set up sort of mixed flight plans. My cargo planes are the only ones that are not above 90% usage. And the next thing I'm going to do is expand my routes a little bit more once I get some more cash. The um, demand at airports changes too based on how much you're feeding them and what type of routes you have set up. I've, I've noticed over the course of the last week that demand at my the only hub airport that I have um, is slowly starting to rise. But a lot of the smaller airports are having much higher rises in the demand. I don't. I assume it can go down as well. 
So trying to figure out how to adjust to that is going to be a challenge. But I've got most of my short flight, um, short haul flight paths at near 100% uh, usage. So that's helping all of those lines to to grow and then the hub itself to grow. And I just, I completely discovered that by accident. Like, I don't know why I would think that they wouldn't change with how much detail has gone into other aspects of this game. But uh, I was surprised to be like, oh shit, demand's going up. And I'm getting all these little graphs that are like, my usage rate is going up and things like that. So I'm wondering what's going to happen once I can get a second hub. So I've got my first, my first hub is in Europe. It's in Germany in a, making it a fairly or a relatively centralized position in Europe. Most of the flights that I have are under 2000 kilometers, which means that I can use a a large variety of planes. I've got a few that are in the 2,500 to 3000 range. I've only got a couple of routes that are longer than that. I was mentioning to you earlier that I've been uh, unlocking all of the different planes so that I can maximize the amount of short haul planes I'm able to use for these flight paths because they're much, much, much cheaper than the medium haul and long haul aircraft. So, um, you know, you can use any plane for any route as long as the plane can land at, and take off from the airfield. And I mentioned this last week too, they each have ratings for how large of planes that they can take. But, you know, for uh, maybe a... a five or 600 kilometer flight or even on up towards the maximum of the short haul flight plan, like the 2,500 kilometer flights, you might be wasting a larger aircraft on that flight based on the demand or how many other flights you could get in at flying, you know, longer flight paths or whatever. For example, I've got one international flight and every time that plane uh, takes off and hits the tarmac, it's half a million dollars that I get from that. Um, whereas a lot of my short haul flights are, you know, a thousand dollars per flight in, in profit, um, or not even always profit. It depends because I have to pay taxes and fees and maintenance and stuff like that. So I've got my large plane making a shorter flight, um, because it, you know, to fly from, uh, Germany to Atlanta, Georgia is like 20 hours. Um, but I can do a short flight and then have it fly back. So, um, doing that takes, is just to kind of fill in the gap and maximize that efficiency. But essentially that flight pays for the taxes and the fuel costs for the other flight. But I'm, I have gotten so far in the weeds on this and I still, I mean, all of it's, like I said, it's a mobile game. There's all of the mobile trappings, you know, micro transactions, all of that stuff. And I think that if I was playing it on, um, what was it, tycoon mode, where that it speeds things up a lot faster instead of professional mode, where it's a one-to-one time ratio, I would be more tempted because um, everything just progresses faster. And that goes in seasons. So every so often it resets and you have to start from scratch, whereas the professional mode does not have a, a season sort of time limit thing. You can just play as the same airline forever. So, I, but I, have, I mean, I haven't felt any desire at all to spend any money. I might at some point, just because I mean, I've already put six hours into this game, six plus hours, and I'm continuing to play it and check in on it a couple times every day <clears throat> to um, do my research and things. Once I start, once I get my turnover rate over 10 million, I think I'll be able to start really ramping things up. 
because then every single day I can buy a new aircraft. And within a cu every couple of days, I'll have enough money to purchase a new route, you know, pay all the gate fees and everything. Um, it does, they, it does have a, I, I discovered it's got a website where you can go and play the game, but the website is utter trash. <laughs> it's in French. So you have to just, you, it, and it doesn't have any English version. So you have to use Google's auto translate or Chrome's auto translate. And that causes some issues. And then the site is just laid out really poorly. So the mobile app is the way to go unless maybe you can natively speak French and then some of the layout decisions might make sense. But I mean, I don't think I've ever talked about a mobile game two week, two weeks in a row, but this game is so surprisingly deep and interesting. I am, I am in on this game. I'm very happy with this game. So. Yeah. I mean, it must be something if you want to talk it, about it this much it's rare that you uh talk about mobile game this much at all yeah let alone two weeks so i mean it's if if you are someone who likes management or tycoon type games it's i mean it's worth it i think as long as you're okay with it doing sort of the one-to-one -one time ratio if you don't like that i would totally understand that but i think you said that it was like i was treating it like a house plant yeah and, I mean, I've not been playing it for multiple hour stints after this weekend, because once I got my 20-something aircraft's flight schedule set up properly, it, whenever I do get a new plane, it's a lot faster. Because, one, I know what I'm doing now, and two, it coming in smaller chunks is easier to manage. But, I mean, I'm still on it every day for probably 30 minutes every day, just checking on everything. And then doing stuff that I need to do. So, an excellent game. Um, and then that brings us to the game that we both played this week, which was uh, Warframe. Yeah, Warframe. <laughs> uh, a kind of a return for me because, well, uh, yeah, I've played it for on and off for the last several years, but it's been a long time since you played. It's been somewhere between two and three years since I last played it. When I logged in, Ortis, the little ship AI, yelled at me for being gone for so long. Something along the lines of, um, I have gotten so tired of waiting on you to come back. Where have you been? What are you doing? <laughs> but then he immediately went back to his yeah. sort of cheerful, repetitive self. Um... But, uh, yeah, so we played this for Community Game Night this week, and Jim came and hung out with us, but he was not interested in playing Warframe, which is fair. Um, yeah, you were terribly lost on what to do. Uh, yeah, I was... I, I, I played for a little bit by myself before you hopped on, and I was mm -hmm. just sort of refamiliarizing myself with the controls. The From my perspective, coming back to Warframe after so long, the game has got a huge open-world section now. And it kind of just dumps you in. There might be something somewhere buried in the, like, hundred messages I had when I came back. And maybe some people to talk to that can, like, like in-game NPCs or something that can help explain what's going on. But I didn't really get any of that wandering around. And so Yeah, I that's the problem with Warframe, is a lot of it is temporary events, story-wise, or cutscenes. Yeah. So I just kind of wound up wandering around, and then I went out into the open world, which apparently there's two. I thought there was only the one, 
what is it? Planes of uh, Planes of Eidolon and Orbvalis. Eidolon and Orbvalis. So I was on Eidolon because uh, that's the one that's on Earth, and the one that I had heard be used in, or that I remembered you talking about, and that I think was used in the most recent thing that we watched that you showed me a few weeks ago. Yeah, the Planes of Eidolon was the one that was shown uh, in uh, the Star Citizen esque update. Yeah. So, from my perspective, the, the big, the biggest thing with the open world is that it it changes the way that the game is played. In my opinion, I think for the better. I always liked using single shot or burst weapons and sniper type weapons and longer ranged weapons. Um, I mean, melee was fun, and there was nothing wrong with the shotguns or the machine guns or whatever, but just my style of play tends to be, or I prefer it to be a little bit farther away, more of a medium or a long-range guy. And that wasn't impossible to do originally, but it was much more difficult because you were fighting in, you know, corridors and hallways and against rapid-moving enemies and bosses and things like that. And, you know, the the rapidly moving enemies and the, the boss is and quick encounters and things are still there but when you have a much larger open world my type of play style becomes more viable you can still scoot and jet around as fast as you could before and i know that there are items and things where you can go faster but the movement system even as it is was is still pretty viable for getting around quickly you sort of slide and jump um or even just sprinting since you have infinite well it's well it's bullet jumping there's a particular system where if you slide, perform a jump, and then kind of do a flip, it's one of the fastest movements uh, that you can do outside of special abilities or additional items. Yeah, so, but I mean, even and, if you don't want to do that and you just want to sprint, you do have infinite sprint, so that's better than anything that you have a stamina meter, any game that has a stamina meter. Yeah, the but, fact that there's not a stamina meter at all outside of like special abilities, once again, because a couple of the Warframes are built around... Uh, one is built around building up essentially a bonus damage by running around. So technically that would be like a reverse stamina meter. Yeah. Um, But playing it and wandering around, it's got what I feel like are the sort of standard open world trappings of... You know, there's stuff to do. There's little things dotted around. There are, you know, enemies you can find just about everywhere. There's little places where you can pick up missions when you're out wandering around um, and and turn in the missions. I th- I don't... I think there's, like, little random events and things you can run into. Um, I'm not sure if that was connected to a mission that we were doing, but, like, running into... Uh, what was it? The prisoner guy? Uh, that like, was right uh, connected to a mission. Uh, essentially, they revamped the mission system where you have a set series of missions that you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, there used to be there would be random missions, but they changed that. Okay. So uh, you have uh, uh, different sets of missions, and each of them are based on a certain level range. So the lowest ones would be like 10 to 20, I think, or 5 to 10. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, you do those, and it typically goes up one mission per uh, per tier. So the first one's three, the next one's four, the next one's five. And each one has a particular theme to them, like a little mini story, like trying to get a particular art, uh, 
architect or trying to find a spy, trying to kill a commander, that sort of thing. And all of them tie into that sort of mini plot line. And the one with the prisoner is like trying to save this prisoner so he can tell you where, you know, like the commander is, that sort of thing. And they're all pretty short missions. Longest ones are like a couple minutes. Uh, not counting, you know, not be able to find, you know, where the actual mission is because one was in a cave that you couldn't find for a bit. Yeah, I'm sure that's something that you could, you would get used to, especially once you learn the terrain a little bit. But the first one of those that I did, I got through the first two parts and then the last part was killing everyone in the circle. And I'm like, I don't see anybody else in the circle. And you're like, look for caves. Yeah. I'm like, okay. So I ran around for a few minutes until I found like a teeny tiny cave entrance and I went in the cave, and I'm like, aha, a cave, like you said. But, you know, it took me a little bit of time to find it. But, like, there was a an, an icon that with an arrow pointing up. So I thought I was missing something on top of a building, or it had yeah. glitched out. But you said we used to check for caves, and I found a cave. Um, and then I was able to finish the mission. But I, I do like that. I like the free-roaming mission style um, and finding stuff out on the plains. Uh, and I do like the aesthetic and the big change. Like, so, you know, I, I understood just sort of the general basis. I Any story development since last time I played, you know, I wouldn't know. But sort of the general basis of where the Tinno came from and what was going on and why the universe or the, the solar system, rather, was sort of devoid of of life in sort of a classic sense, the way that we knew it. You know, why everyone's yeah. on space stations or spaceships and there are all these horrible monster factions and things like that. Yeah, essentially, the Earth uh, uh, said the terrible habit to it, but I'm not sure what story was. Uh, and much of it is inhabitable. Uh, and there's only, like, little pockets here and there. So, yeah, yeah uh, the Plains of Eidolon is one of the few pristine spots because it is cordoned off from the rest of the planet via the giant energy shields. Uh, that you see around it. That's why they, that's the in-game reason why they have you know, the boundaries. So oh, I wondered what that was. Yeah, that's what it is. And this one particular town is surviving off of an Adelon tower and essentially harvesting it for meat. It's this like living structure. Uh huh. And they're also living off the uh the wildlife off the plains and that sort of thing. So. Uh, and fish as well. Uh, sorry, I'm trying to remember everything and uh, lore-wise. Gotcha. It's okay. I, I like the change in aesthetic. I like seeing new stuff. I think that's good. Not that, like, Warframe had its, you know, interesting, unique, um, at least in my, you know, experience, fairly unique art style and, and setting. But it is nice to see a change of pace from sort of either the sterile spaceship or the weird sort of there's version of zombie creature infestations. You know, it's nice to see something different from that. Um, trying to think of other things. I, I mean, I've got more to talk about, but before I sort of change gears entirely, uh, just trying to make sure there's nothing else that I really wanted to bring up at this point. I mean, you know, I played it for 90, somewhere between 90 minutes and two hours. So I got a, a good taste, but I also spent a decent amount of time being like, what what do, how do, why, where things? Um, I definitely need to spend some time changing up my build. 
I made a couple of quick changes on the fly while we were playing, but you know, my build fits the classic Warframe. You know, I've got a lot of close range weapons. My yeah, big and melee that doesn't focus. work on the planes. Yeah, big melee focus, a lot of abilities, or you know, my I'm using Atlas, which primarily is defense and close range combat. Um, a huge melee setup using the old melee system where you could re- channel your power. Uh, what is that called? Whatever the uh, energy focus. is. Yeah, your focus, or you could channel your focus energy into your weapon, and it's set to get more than double its power when I focus channel energy yeah, into Yeah, well, it. the thing is, Warframe's also in the middle of a melee weapon revamp. So I'm probably just going to shelve Atlas and pick another one of my frames and almost start over and leave him to come back to him later. I mean, I'm not going to completely start over. I've got several Warframes that have been through a couple of... What's the process where you add to them, like add Polarity to the slots, and it resets to level one, and you work it back up? Forma. Forma. I've got several Warframes that have have had multiple Formas applied to them, but I remember Atlas was always my favorite, so I'm just going to leave him for a little bit and then come back to him and not use him to experiment on. But I'm going to try and play it some this week um to one get a feel for that stuff and two work on grinding out some of the stuff that I need to get uh the little hoverboard jetpack thingy or no K drive the K drive yeah so that you can uh, use starting your... the quest to go into Orvalis you go through a series of two or three quests in pretty quick succession and you get a K drive that's just a basic model but if you Build up the, your faction with the vent kids, the got the essentially British biker punks that hide in the vents and cause all sorts of mayhem. You're eventually able to build your own custom one, and then you can add mods to it that they also sell for various effects, make them go faster. Uh, for a few seconds, uh, whenever you first get on the K drive, you're vulnerable. That sort of thing. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and do that before next Monday because we're gonna do it again for community game night. Um, and if anyone else wants to join in, absolutely you can. But based on my experience, if you haven't played in a while, you should totally spend some time playing so that you can uh, refamiliarize yourself and maybe make some of the changes that I'm talking about to get used to the way that the game is now. Um, it's not impossible. It is a big information dump, information overload, which is a good way to lead into the next thing that I want to talk about, which is are a number of issues that I have with this, just sort of right off the bat, and then maybe you can speak to some of them long yeah, term. Yeah, Warframe is a wiki game. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Yeah, they also, in my opinion, don't handle this transition well. I It would probably be easier as a new player to enter the environment and work your way through sort of naturally as you learn, but for a returning player, it just dumps you here and doesn't give you any information or any help or give you any of the equipment that you need. It doesn't tell you, hey, if you want these things, you should go to the other place, not Plains of Eidolon. Or Valis? Is that what you, what you said it yeah. was called? Uh, uh, the towns are Cetus and Fortuna with uh, Plains of Eidolon and or Valis as the open worlds. Yeah. So, the, I mean, the game doesn't say, hey, you should go to Orvalis so that you can get some of this stuff through some quests. It just gives you... Um, like 50 messages when you come in and I briefly scanned through those and I didn't see any of them that told me that I should do that. 
Um, and I'm not exaggerating. I had 48 messages when I logged back in. Yeah, uh, there was a from... bunch of events that uh, send out messages, and I bet you had all of them. <clears throat> yeah. So that's the biggest problem that I have. And yes, you can spend a little bit of time. You can figure stuff out. You can ask the community or have a friend walk you through a few things. But it is still a massive sort of info dump um, on you. Then, uh, oh, hang on, I need to... Damn scratchy throat. I'm going to have many tiny editing notes this week. <laughs> but anyways, so there's there's that, which is a major issue, sort of the lack of information. Then there's, I, I guess following that in other ways, there's a lot of new things. Like they say, well, you probably shouldn't go out at nighttime if what they say about this is true, but they don't tell you why or what that is. And in the night environment, there are ultra strong enemies that if you're at my level, which is for well, it's old not, Warframe well, pretty well, high. Well, never well the thing is, it's not level, it's progression. And that's two different things. But, is that well, certain quests uh, trigger essentially another tier of progression. So it's not mastery level and it's not Warframe level. It's where you are in the overarching story. So there's, but there's, okay. So there's hard enemies and then there's like special boss enemies and then the water is poison at nighttime. Also, you can't swim. I mean, I have like a tiny issue with that. It's not like a huge deal because you can, you know, sort of glide over stuff. Even if you don't have the K drive or the, the hoverboard, you can still, you know, doing your bullet jump you can still jump very far and then you can aim to sort of glide through the air like you can get across any of the lakes or you know ponds or whatever but it's like can i just walk through this or swim but i guess not it's a tiny thing overall i think but it's still frustrating um and then i, I don't exactly know how or where this came from, but doing things like going through and looking on my ship and looking at like my foundry and things. I don't remember there being like 35 things in my foundry. I didn't actually count all of them, but there are at least two dozen things in my foundry that I don't remember being there before. I don't know if they've changed the sort or some things have been added to it that it just kind of is automatically dumped on there for me. Like, yeah, they did add some, uh, or, uh, they did add some new categories, so it is resorted. But they did also add a few uh, blueprints to everyone as well. I guess that sort of falls into that information overload dump if you're a returning player. And Warframe, in any persistent online MMO type game, regardless of what sort of specific genre that falls into, and doubly so if it's free to play, I think has issues with this. But I feel like Warframe is particularly bad at helping out returning players after they've been gone for a while. Uh, I don't feel like... I, I've never felt like the progression in Warframe is particularly clear. I think about other free-to-play MMOs that I've played, and I know that there's a story in Warframe, but it's much less front and center than it is in other games, and having a, a persistent, long-running story helps to navigate players back in. Um, and that just doesn't... At least, I mean, it didn't exist in Warframe, really. Um, not in a traditional sense. And there's just so much stuff 
and it, it, you know, you're right. It is a wiki game, and it, you know, games can definitely be that way. I've enjoyed my fair share of wiki games, but returning to one in the middle, like if it was a single player game, you know, I think of like games like Factorio, Minecraft, etc., that have huge wiki components to them. When you come back to it for a while, you can just start over and relearn things that way. But I wouldn't want to restart Warframe in a million years because of how much time and progression. I've already dumped into the game and I would lose all of that stuff to start over. And I don't know if Warframe is going to be a game that I continue to play on a regular basis. I mean, I'm going to play it some this week and we're going to play it again this coming week. And it might, you know, I might play it off and on again, especially if you're like, hey, instead of playing Forza or instead of watching anime, do you want to do some some Warframe this weekend? And I'd be like, yeah, sure. Why not? I'm cool with yeah, that. We can I hang out and play that. Warframe. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's going to be a game that I regularly play on my own, if that makes sense. I don't, at one point in time, I guess it was, I guess a, a, a couple, two, three years ago, maybe four years ago, I guess, me and you were both playing it pretty, pretty hardcore. And then I drifted off and you've stuck with it all this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, well, you saw Anaros, uh, the frame I was using. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's one of the most powerful tanks in the game. Remember how Rhino used to be absurdly uh, hard to kill? Yeah. Uh, but his big weakness was if he got dispelled instant death? Yeah. Inaris fixes that. And he has a stun. And he can heal himself. But the thing is, you know, he doesn't have a lot of damage outside of his weaponry. So, you know, he's tanky as hell, but... He yeah, relies on equipment. That's why you saw me bring in yeah, some of my best stuff. Right. Is it easier to get Warframes now than it used to be? Depends on the Warframe. Some of them are, some of them aren't. Okay. Um, uh, like Anaros like himself isn't actually that hard to get. I feel like they all used to be super hard and grindy to get. Not, not all of them. But many of them were super hard to get. Uh, well, they also changed uh, the uh, a relic system. Well, a couple years ago now, where you remember the keys, the relic keys. Yeah. Okay, those are gone. Instead, you have void relics. Which can be refined. Uh, you probably saw those on this orbiter. Well, we those existed. Those existed the last time we played. Oh, they did. Okay, they might have changed the system some since then, but those, all right. Those well, they have. A, well, okay, they have a refinement system, and that's the way you get some uh, things. Other things like uh, one warframe that used to only appear in alerts could now be gotten through uh, just grinding out the uh, well the. Uh, season pass uh, credits and be able to just bomb outright so you don't have to be lucky on seeing his alert pop up. Uh, clan tech has gotten a lot easier. Uh, certain quest uh, things have gotten a lot easier just with time and power creep. So it really depends on just what you're looking for. If you're looking for the cutting edge, you have just out Warframes. Those are still a pain in the ass to get. If you're willing to go with some of the older stuff, which is still incredibly viable, then, well, you could get those a lot easier now just due to power creep. Uh, Probably going to go back to the, mag. Yeah, my secondary... Well, 
Mag isn't actually that great. <laughs> to be I always honest. liked Mag. Uh, well, remember, open world stuff uh, focuses on different uh, uh, different warframes and different power sets. So, yeah, it's a... Uh, the, the reason why I chose Anaris to bring along is that he's tanky, but also if you got in trouble, I could... Uh, uh, do some AOE damage. I could stun. Uh, if you uh, went, if you uh, got downed, I could uh, you know easily revive you without having to worry about uh, myself. So I was playing essentially a support tank. But others, uh, Trinity is still really good. She's a uh, healer uh, class. Um, Excalibur actually is uh, one of the starter frames is still very good. They've uh, moved around some of the different uh, 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 locations for some of the Warframes. I believe Excalibur has actually been moved to the inner solar system, so you can actually get them pretty easily now if you didn't pick them as a starter. Yeah, Exc- Excalibur is my starter frame. Yeah, same no, here. No and, they, and they also have you know the primes. Uh, there's a lot more prime frames out now, and they occasionally give a prime frame away, like... Uh, during Tenacon last year, they gave away Necros Prime if you just happen to you know, watch it. So, you know, they do give away a lot of power as well. Uh, trying to think of anything else. Uh, there's also been a big power creep in mods. Was, uh, like I was trying to tell you before, because you had focused on uh, the f- uh, channel energy abilities, those have kind of been... Uh, put to the sidelines because they're in the middle of redoing that system at least as far uh, last time I checked to a more combo based system so focus energy is going away in exchange for a almost and I hate using the term a Dark Souls-esque light and heavy attack system I think I'd prefer that the melee system had some combos to it, and if I remember correctly, there were the different like combat styles you could use or weapon stances that gave you some differences in the attacks. But it would it would were revolved around I think like how how many times you pressed or how quickly you pressed E over and over again. Yeah, and this is yeah this involved. is different. Uh, instead, it's going to be uh, if I recall correctly, left and right uh, mouse with. Uh, right being a big wind-up, but it leaves you vulnerable, and the uh, combat system is based around that. Yeah. Uh, with a, Focus is still going to be there, or channel energy is still going to be there, but it's going to be essentially a finisher move that is powered up through the rest of the combat system. It's not going to be just a toggle, and it's burning your energy from your Warframe. So there is a, that system. You know, it, they're still in the middle of changing it over, but I'm not sure just how far along they are because I did uh, take a break for a while. So not sure just how far along they are. Trying to think yeah. of anything else. Um, uh, another thing was that you're using a bullet hose on the Plains of Adlon and with the, you know, the ranges going on. You know, uh, the inaccuracy of, like, the Gurkada, uh, just, yeah, you're missing too often, so your DPS goes down. Uh, a bullet hose is a lot better in the old system, where it's a lot of close corridors. 
Yeah, I I mean I had a rifle. Uh, I grabbed one of my rifles too, but you know, I had some issues with that as well cuz it wasn't properly set up. So a, a lot of what I need to do comes down to working on my builds and then playing some more just to get used to the changes. But uh in general, I think it's more good than bad. Just some of my issues with it come down to just the core design philosophy of Warframe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's not really anything that I think they can do about that without changing everything. So. And that's okay. Like, they don't have to change the everything to suit my needs. I just am mm-hmm. going to have to, you know, figure out where I, how to, how to work within the new style of the game. Um, but yeah. Warframe. I mean, I'm not. You know, do you have anything else you want to say about it before we move on? Uh, not really, because else. because remember, I've played Warframe for a lot longer. I have like six or seven hundred days in the new login system. Yeah, which uh, is not a consecutive login system anymore, so it always takes over. Yeah, but they also changed it where there's a reward choice at certain milestones that is actually pretty powerful depending on what you get. And some of the uh, some of the really good weapons can be got from that. Some of the power boosts can be got from that. So it's more just kind of sticking with it, as painful as that may sound. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see how much I play it going forward. But I mean, I would definitely, if you're like, hey, do you want to play Warframe? Yeah. Going forward, I'd be like, yeah, sure. I got it installed. Why not? You just might have to be okay sort of dragging me along to places, but I'd come play and hang out and do stuff. Um, but yeah. So, with those things being said, let's go talk about another game we both played, which is our Game Club game for September, Donut County. In case this is the first time you have joined us on this show for Game Club, Rage and I tend to have very different tastes in games, and this is a way for us to come together, play the same game at the same time, and talk about it together, exploring our different viewpoints and takes on the games that we play. We do encourage audience participation, uh, so if you are listening to this brand new and you're like, oh, cool, I want to talk about that, or a future game that we play, please don't hesitate to do so and send in something, something to the show. Um, but yeah, Donut County. Hopefully yeah. we have some good back-and-forth discourse on this one, just based on a, a brief discussion prior to the show. Um, yeah, I was kind of lukewarm to it. It just never really grabbed me. And I I'm not sure if it's just the lingo that they use for the uh, uh for the actual dialogue, you know. A lot of more Boy, this is going to make me sound like a cranky old man, but more millennial-esque. <laughs> okay. That's interesting. Um not what I expected to hear. Would you mind to elaborate on that? Uh, a lot a of uh, LOL and just a, a lot of acronyms that uh, makes me think of teenagers that just uh, kept me from really being able to get into the dialogue itself. But also uh, there, there was something there that I couldn't quite put my finger on that. I never really got into the invested in the story. And I, I, I can't explain why. That's the annoying thing is that 
it was an interesting puzzler, but also the puzzles, uh, the, the game felt like it really opened itself up and showed its possibilities on the very last level, then it ended. So before we go any deeper, just briefly, in case you're unaware, dear listener, Donut County is a short um, sort of physics puzzler where that you are controlling a hole in the ground that opens up larger the more stuff you put in it and the basic sort of objective for every level is to get everything down in the hole and the more the, the farther along you get the more sort of puzzle mechanics you get um such as there's one level where that you have to get a hole of a, a fire in the hole and then you drop fireworks in and you launch those to get things the last level in particular had quite a few mechanics uh going on combining all the previous mechanics and then adding some new ones too um and then between the puzzle sections are story cutscene things um with uh, essentially uh, uh, almost uh the entire gameplay up until towards the end is essentially flashbacks yeah um as these characters are telling their story about what has happened and the their interactions with each, with each other down in a, a giant hole. So that's the basics of the game. It sounds weird, I know, but that's the game. Um, so just very quickly, my top-down thought on it is I loved the, the shit out of this game. I loved every moment of the experience. And the game itself is not perfect. It has flaws. But in terms of, like, what I really want out of games, like, 10 out of 10... Loved it. Want more games like it in existence. Uh, for me, I found... Well, remember, I'm a gameplay guy first. I found uh, the first, like, two-thirds of the game to be essentially very, very basic physics puzzler, which sometimes bugged out on me. Uh, like, something bounced just right where it wouldn't go down the hole, or it would be too close to the edge of the level, so it wouldn't uh, yeah, be able to fit or to tip over. So that annoyed me to begin with. And there was a couple of levels I had to redo because of it. Like, oh, uh, the cat soup level. Mm-hmm. One of the skyscrapers at the very end of the level got bumped just right where it was too close to the edge of the level and it wouldn't get, and it wouldn't get swallowed. And the game is very picky about how much of the level it wants you to to essentially destroy in order to progress in the story. And that, that already annoyed me on a game that I, I was kind of lukewarm on. Mm-hmm. So I, I have seen other people, like I, whenever we do Game Club, I always go read a few, after I play the game, I always go read a few reviews and some other things to help me sort of collect my thoughts and see what other experiences people had you know, see if I experienced some of the same things or got something different. And I did see several people mentioning in reviews and like uh, Steam po- or on the Steam forums and on Reddit mentioning having little sort of physics glitches where something would get bumped out of, you know, out of bounds yeah. or to a place where it wouldn't work. I did not experience any of those issues, which did not cloud my playthrough experience. But I do see, you know, with this game being sort of a physics puzzler, that if something gets messed up, you would have to just restart the level or spend an inordinate amount of time trying to sort of wiggle it in perfectly. Yeah, I had that as well, where 
Some of the items were literally right just under the size of the hole. So mm-hmm. they would get stuck in the uh, aperture, for lack of a better term. And eventually the game would go, okay, that's good enough, and it'll drop down. But also there was some times that there was items that you know, should drop down, but wouldn't because I hadn't progressed far enough in the level. So I hadn't essentially unlocked that. So it felt very arbitrary. Yeah. Um. So the um all of the not all most of the characters in the game are anthropomorphized animals which most of them are pretty cute uh, well there's and, a couple of humans uh, there's that one human at least yeah um mara the, this sort of yeah mara this sort of character that i think you're supposed to yeah be up until you figure out that you've been the raccoon the whole time bk mm-hmm. controlling the app Actually, I guess that's you figured that out pretty early, but I, the game presents itself almost like Mar, from Mara's point of view. I mean, there are the little each of the levels serve as sort of flashbacks, but all mm-hmm. of the cutscenes are sort of Mara interacting with people, and I think the game wants you to put yourself more in her shoes. Um, but anyways, uh, all of the anthropomorphized animals fit some sort of stereotype, which I think is interesting um, in the way that those play out. They're all very cute. I think the dialogue is good. I it, maybe it's because I am younger than you, several years younger than you, and have experienced a lot more of that sort of what you were talking about, just sort of the anachronistic speech that that yeah. didn't bother me at all. Um, yeah, uh, it, it, maybe it's just me being a cretaceous old man, you know. Yeah, uh, that possibly it, that kept taking me out of it. Possibly. It could be, though, that you and I, just the way that we approach games, because I figured when you said it, it was I was kind of lukewarm on it. I'm thinking in my head, like, well, you're not a story guy like I am as much. You're a gameplay guy. And the gameplay is kind of lackluster until the last level, and then the game just ends. Mm-hmm. So I could see that. I could see you either being lukewarm on that or being frustrated with it. Or maybe the frustration leading to lukewarmness instead of more enjoyment. But anyways, the uh, the story elements of the game... As you go through and you hear the story of each of the characters and what happened and how they got dropped into the hole. I guess the, the story conceit is that um, the raccoons have sort of came in and taken over everything. Yeah. And there is this app that whenever you, you can use it to deploy sinkholes uh, and you're capturing up, gobbling up all of this stuff for research. Like you find that at the end, like all this stuff is for research. And you're getting points. And as BK, the raccoon character, you're trying to get to level 10 so you can get a drone. Um, by, you know, by leveling yourself up. Like a, a real-life drone that you can get. So he's going through sucking up all of the stuff in the entire town into these giant sinkholes so that he can score points to get his drones. And he knows what he's doing. Yeah. But he's very selfish and doesn't really care that he's hurting other people. Um, until he himself gets sucked up when Mara gets control of it and sucks up the donut shop, which is what the raccoon runs is a donut yeah, shop. Yeah, which the raccoon also tries to explain a way that, well, donuts have holes, so I'm just delivering donuts. Yeah. Um, I, I found him to be an hilarious, but also annoying. Like, I'm pretty sure that's what they were going for. Yeah. There's some back and forth dialogue where you are texting with people mm-hmm. and you can just like click to send the next text or you can also send like a duck face. And yeah. If you send en- enough duck faces, you could get different responses from people. Mm-hmm. So that was fun. I did that. 
Um, there's, I think, quite... I, and I don't know if this was intended by the developer or not. I feel like there's quite a bit of metaphor to be found in the game. Um, you know, it, it's it's got a satirical humor to it. But I think there's some pretty big comments on the society that, li- that we live in playing out through that. And that could... That could be me and my own sort of biases and reading into things, but the idea of sort of corporate America or corporate culture sort of sucking up everything that we used to hold dear, sort of ruining the... Yeah, I guess that was kind of lost on me just because I was taken out of it uh, in general. Yeah, but those aspects of corporate culture sort of ruining the, I don't know, the classic hometown life that people used to enjoy and then by the end figuring out how to sort of meld the two together and form a new community that also involves these things. I don't, I don't know how much of that was on the nose or not because I study this stuff as a hobby. Um, so I don't know how much I pick up on the other people don't notice or how much I just sort of make up that actually isn't intended. Um, sort of following the death of the author sentiment, which I can't remember if I've explained that or not before, but in, in basic, like, Death of the Author states that any meaning that was or was not intended by the author was irrelevant once the end user reads it and assi- ascribes their own meaning to it. And the author cannot dictate what a story should mean or should not mean to someone. So I don't, I don't know how much of this is just me sort of reading in based on my own personal beliefs and experiences. But I felt like that was a pretty pretty clear line throughput through the story. Um the idea of the sort of conspiracy theorist character being proven right. I thought that was a funny little thing. Yeah, the <clears> world <throat> was both flat and hollow. Yeah. Which I thought was funny. That was a good joke. Um, but other things too. I don't want to want to say too much or spoil too much. But there are, I think, some other interesting themes in the game. Is that the point the, of Game Club is to spoil it? I guess. I mean, I feel like I'm we're... I don't, mm, I don't know. I don't know how much I want to talk about all of this underlying stuff that I picked up on. Well, yeah, go for I would... it, because I, for me, it was an interesting physics puzzler that felt like it really only showed its promise on that last level. That's where it really shone for me, and that's the level I noticed that a lot of people highlighted whenever they were showing the game. But up until that point, it was very simplistic. Why don't you talk about that for a minute while I think some more about about things to talk about? Well, outside of a very rare interaction, it was literally just swallow up items on the level in the order that the game dictates, going from the smallest to the largest. Essentially a reverse camera durarty. You know, uh, the uh, you know, rolling around things into a giant ball. Yeah, Kat- Katamari. Kat- I'm not sure Kat- how to say that last part. Dimachi Kat- or Daimachi, whatever. Uh, Katamari, whatever. Uh, it was basically a reverse that just grabbing things, putting them in a hole, the hole gets bigger. Where I found the game got interesting was when they started adding in more mechanics. Like you swallow up a snake and the snake is sticking out of the hole and you're able to hit things with it or interact with the environment. You fill up the hole with water. And, uh, you know, a bird may drink out of it and it do something. Yeah, those interactions I found interesting. And the last levels where they really started to pull it all together. They had a proper boss fight uh, to end things off. 
uh, and they had uh, some interesting interactions with the hole and different items in it. But up until that point, it was very, very you know, basic. And it felt like it was essentially a tutorial up until that point. So, yeah, it, that's what I'm talking about, where it's a, a very simple game. Mm-hmm. And because the story didn't grab me, it didn't really, you know, it didn't really do that much for me. And so I was kind of lukewarm on it. Did you go into the encyclopedia at all? Yes, the trashpedia. That's yeah, the where trash I found media. the most of the humor. Yeah. So there, there's this thing that for every level, every item that you collect has a trashopedia entry in it, which is what the uh, raccoon scientists or whatever think about all of these items, either what they do or what they are or their personal like beliefs on them. There's a lot of good humor in there. Um, some of it, you know, I think it's framed as a, a deliberate m- fundamental misunderstanding of what cer- certain items do or are based on the idea that these guys are raccoons. So anything that's trash, generally they like it. You know, food is awesome. But then, like, you know, things like radios or walkie-talkies or stuff like that, they're, like, weirded out about. Um, there's some good humor, some some good puns. Also a lot of satire in there, some references to things. Um but, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there in the Trashopedia that I think fits along this idea of, you know, the fundamental mis- misunderstanding of, of corporate culture and how uh, it, it changes the things that we, um, you know, the values that we have once held as a culture. The, I, it's interesting that everybody just sits and watches the hole as it moves around. I found that an interesting commentary, potentially, on how... A lot of times people just sort of sit back and watch things happen and then after the fact complain about it. They don't try and take any action to stop it in the moment. Um, Because in the hole, down in the hole, everybody or almost everybody is complaining. But in all of the flashbacks, or maybe not all, most of them, like people would just stand there and sort of watch the hole like, huh, that's interesting. It's swallowing up my house or whatever. Um, So I felt like that was an interesting commentary on how people... Uh, will watch change come, even destructive change, but they're comfortable in their own settings or their surroundings. You know, they don't want to take any action until it's too late. Um, the idea of how tragedy brings people together in order to actually enact change or or deal with things or support each other. Like everyone in the town, not not everyone in the town, but there are quite a few conflicts between people in the towns or in the town that are played up in the cutscenes, but you know they're sort of all in this together now they're all in this shit together so we're in a band together against a con enemy who is bk the raccoon um this one i think is pretty purely because i'm a therapist but i found bk to be sort of a satirical representation of what a narcissist is like until the very end when he like does it grab the pickle it. yeah when he doesn't grab the pickle flips his script immediately um, and it's like, oh no, I'm gonna stay good instead of the, the entire story. He's like set up as like a selfish prick, and then at the very end, I, I felt like without good cause, he you know decides to stay on the straight and narrow path and redeem himself. Um, but you know that's sort of my own personal opinion on it. But yeah, he doesn't reach into the drawer and take the pickle, which I thought was a, a good joke because mm-hmm. the the big boss raccoon, what is he, king raccoon or whatever, sticks his hand in the pickle jar and then he gets yeah. it stuck or his paw. 
So I, I think there's a lot of those things that exist in the game. And then commentary on stereotypes. You know, we mentioned earlier the conspiracy nut who was proven right that the earth is flat and hollow at the same time. Um, which was more funny than anything, I think. But, you know, that was sort of playing up on that stereotype of the crazy conspiracy theorist who has everything that you need at the right moment and can also hack and, you know, all of these things. Um, there was uh, a look at, like, the sort of old... Where, where I drew the most corporate distinction was that it's like the raccoons came and, and bought out, like, the local donut shop and then put the app in place there for the donut deliveries. And it's like, you know, the corporation comes in and they buy out the little guy and then, the, you know, they ruin everything in the town after that point. Yeah, this is making me feel very stupid that I didn't really get all of this. But then again, like I said, I got kind of put off of it from the dialogue. Yeah. Or maybe um, I'm just not that deep. I don't know. And then Mara, I think, is is definitely our viewpoint or, or maybe the sort of millennial viewpoint of... You know, um, I, th I think how the world perceives millennials is like not giving a shit for a long time. And then once she actually does, she takes all of these things into account, makes some massive changes and is the one who ultimately like makes a big difference. Like she's the one who convinces everyone to band together, convinces everyone or convinces BK to utilize the hole to get back at the raccoon people and sort of it enacts the plan to set the final stage in motion where everyone gets their stuff back and everything gets fixed back properly. So Or somewhat it, like, fixed back. Well, yeah. They were all back at the top of the hole at the end of the game, mm -hmm. and you have the quadcopter, and you can fly around the quadcopter and look at the level and or, or look at like the scene going on and view the credits and things, which I thought that was cute. I thought that was a cute touch to end the game. And then when you're done, you just exit. You can you can play through it again. Apparently, there's like some a few secret things you can get. Um, I did not get any of them, but I went and I looked up the sort of a, or looked at the achievement list and looked up a couple of things online. There's like a a secret getaway vehicle for the king raccoon that you can find, and like some little Easter eggs and stuff that I didn't find. But you know, I'm not. This is this was was a one and done for me. I don't really think this game has got much replay value. Um, you know, the, the mechanics, like the story is great, but once you've been through it once and, and especially when you pick up on a bunch of stuff in it, I don't know how much there is to sort of mine out of it again. And then with the game mechanics being generally lackluster up until the very end of the game, there's not really a mechanical reason to go back and replay it. So, you know, it's, it's got, I think a sort of a one and done mentality or one and done, uh, objective in mind. Which I personally don't mind. I've, I'm on record on this show as saying this. Like, I like games that are relatively small, self-contained, and that aren't demanding, you know, 50-plus hours of my time. Because I just don't have that much time to give on a regular basis. Um, I've got a couple of games, or maybe even one game that I swap back and forth, that gets a lot of regular time. And then I like to have smaller experiences in between. And the fact that Donut County is, you know, three-ish hours max, and there are plenty of people who are saying they beat it in way less time than that. Um, but, you know, sort of three-ish hours max, like that's a perfect evening or, you know, Saturday afternoon or whatever contained experience for me. And I really appreciate that fact about the game. Yeah, uh, I guess I 
I didn't look for the deeper meaning because I just found a bit of an annoyance on the dialogue. And between that and the gameplay being a little glitchy at times, for, particularly for a physics puzzler, that it just put me off enough that I didn't look for the deeper meanings and the deeper themes, which probably, yeah, it makes me feel a little stupid for not really yeah, looking into that, uh, looking past that. But at the same time, it's a little hard to when I'm already being put off from it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I personally, I don't think that you need to or, or should feel stupid about it. Um, you know, we each approach games in different ways. And there are definitely things that you pick up on in games, other games that we've played that I don't because that's not what I'm looking for or not what I'm interested in. Yeah, or... because I'm more of a technical guy compared to a story guy. Yeah. So, you know, you, you have your own interests and sort of your own, I don't know, get gaming strengths, maybe? Or, you know, the, the things that you're, you know, sort of better My at. My niche. To, yeah, you have your yeah, niche. It, it, just that, yeah, it just feels like I'm missing, uh, I missed a lot here because of that. Uh, yeah. Uh, my own particular niche uh, blinded me to a lot that the game had to offer. So I viewed it as a very simplistic game instead of this more meaningful existence. Yeah, but on the, but then you look at a game like uh, Brothers: A Tale of Two Sons, where it uh, the story and the actual controls and gameplay actually mesh a lot better, and I think that's uh, I'm drawing parallels between those uh, with different story gameplay uh, methods. So it just feels like it could have been done a bit better to draw me in. But it may just be I wasn't the target audience. Yeah. Quite possibly. I mean, it you know, it probably could have done things better. You know, like I said, it, it's not a perfect game. Um, but, you know, for what I enjoy, I thought it was excellent. But, you know, it's it's not every game is for everybody. I, yeah, I think it's better true. that way, too. I think it's better that way. A lot of, you know, getting slightly off the topic of Donut County, but, you know, a lot of AAA games fall prey to the, well, let's make it, you know, have as much mass market appeal as we can. And not that you can't do something with that, but there is a beauty to having a very sort of narrow, specific focus and being good at what the, like that one or two things that you want to be instead of being, you know, good enough in every aspect so that you can sell 10 million copies. Yeah, and that's the thing is, the uh, a uh, 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 I'm getting tongue tied. Trying to focus too much on a shallow experience to expand their uh, market has made triple uh, uh, A gaming and really some of the upper tiers of double A gaming lose focus on the art aspects of gaming. So maybe I've been a little bit des desensitized to a more artistic piece like this, which is yeah. also a, yeah, a real possibility. I think between the two of us, I tend to find more games that fit this sort of narrow artistic realm because of the type of things I'm interested in. Not that you're not, you know, not to say that you don't have interests in games that, that are or can be artistic, but I think that this tends to lean more into my wheelhouse this this game club was was much more I think in my wheelhouse than yours. Yeah, I definitely think so because on a oh, on a technical aspect, it's 
fine. It's okay. It's, yeah, it's serviceable. Yeah. But the thing is that at the end of the day, when the gameplay really starts to pick up is when the game ends. Yeah. I'll, I'll use another example of a short game that has a deeper uh, meaning psychologically, uh, theme-wise, that nailed it on gameplay as well. Portal. Yeah. Portal was another one that was able to really bury its gameplay mechanics, its uh, little hidden Easter eggs a lot better. But once again, we are talking Valve, so that's probably a little bit unfair. It's just... It just feels like I got put off by the dialogue way too much. That, And I'm a little adored with myself for it, you know? Yeah. Um, Would you or would you not recommend this game to someone? Also Uh, bearing in mind that the price is $13 on Steam. You do pay a tax. Never at full price. Never at full price on this. On... A discount, it depends on the player. For a more technical player, for someone that cares more about gameplay, that wants a good puzzler, no. For someone that is more story-oriented, like you, then perhaps, if you're able to find the themes. Yeah. How much did we pay for this? We bought it on sale. Uh, a couple bucks. It wasn't that much. It was uh, on pretty deep discount. Gotcha. Um, for me, if you're someone who enjoys story, um, I, and I, I talked, I did talk a lot about themes and deeper themes and deeper meaning. You could definitely, with a different perspective, get something different out of it. I think that's the beauty of very artistic and stylistic games like this. Um, but you know, you might be able to find even things that I didn't talk about or maybe entirely missed, even with on the same themes that I focused on. I think for someone who's interested in stories and, um, uh, sort of deeper meaning, you know, content-wise, I wholeheartedly recommend this game. Definitely on sale. Um, you know, for my own person, I I think I would have been happy with this experience even if I had paid the $13. Like, I, I really enjoyed it, found myself being very invested in the story all the way through, and to me, it doesn't... I mean, at a certain point, you know the the price of something you know out might outweigh the true value but for for me and for sort of the amount of money that i have and am able to spend on games i think that $13 is worth it for the the experience that i had but definitely you know if you don't have the same uh discretionary funds or maybe not quite as much interest but you know listing this as piqued your interest i think it's definitely worth two three four five bucks you know depending on what it's on sale for definitely five bucks but if we got it on sale for less than that then it probably is regularly less than five bucks on you know steam sales so i i think it's worth it but i i do agree with you like if you're a mechanics focused gamer the mechanics just aren't here Um, yeah and that's the thing is that there's a few moments of real brilliance uh, on the technical aspect of things, how different things interact. Uh, and there's a couple uh, real funny moments based just on the mechanics. 
you know, like the rat, uh, you know, getting a couple of rabbits in the hole and suddenly, hey, uh, a rabbit orgy in the hole and, you know, your yeah. hole, uh, you know, grows up uh, immensely. That was funny. Yep. Uh, launching the fireworks the first couple of times was funny. Uh, uh, Raccoon Lagoon uh, was pretty funny, even though it was finicky as hell. Uh, yeah, it took me a few minutes to figure out Raccoon Lagoon. I had the game bug. Uh, that was another portion where it got, uh, one of the final items got stuck on the edge of the level, and for, and for the life of me, I could not get it off. So, yeah. Uh, I think maybe also just the technical problems, or minor technical problems, even though for any other game it wouldn't have mattered as much because I was already kind of lukewarm to it. It also got in the way of my experience a bit too much. Yeah. Um, trying to think if there are other things I want to say or bring up about it. But I think we fairly well covered the mechanics, the story, my sort of view on, on the story, the meanings. Do you have any other... Any other things you want to bring up in relation to uh, Not really. I mean, it's just... I keep getting stuck on uh, you know, how they kind of pulled out all the stops on the last level. And it felt like almost they ran out of gameplay ideas. So they wanted to put them all on the last level. And then kind of sparse the other ones. Uh, sparse them for the previous levels to kind of introduce them. But beyond that, there wasn't a lot there. <coughs> But I think that, once again, just may be my focus where I'm a technical gamer. I'm a gameplay guy. Gameplay is king. Because of that, because they focus so much on the themes, you know, I, lo- I lost the game and the art when I was looking for the actual gameplay, the technical side of things. Indeed. All right. Um, so you ready to mention our next couple months game clubs? Yes, we are. So uh, we have a super spooky October because, hey, uh, it's October. So we got to do something a little bit uh, spooky and scary, right? Absolutely. Very spooky. So for this October, we're moving a little bit away from uh our previous months where we did a little bit more of a hard horror game uh, in uh, the Alan Wake series, even though it's more psychological horror. And, and we're moving into Prey. This is on Xbox Game Pass. And, well, it's a rather interesting one. This is from, what, two years ago now? I believe so. And yeah. it was a reboot of a classic game, well, once again called Prey, but a very different theme. So it will be interesting to see how this holds up. I never played the original Prey, did you? I did, but it was... I think that came out in, what, 2004, 2005, something like that? I played it pretty close to release and didn't like it all that much. I, uh, I just, might appreciate it more now, but... It, uh, just I felt the like it, uh, style, or...? Yeah, I, yeah, I felt like it was just a really strange story. It didn't control well. It was 
buggy. At least when I played it, it was buggy. I don't know. I played it on Xbox 360. I don't know if there were other versions that had less issues or what, but... Um, yeah. I didn't, I didn't like it all that much. But I was very much looking forward to this when I saw it um, at E3 a couple of years ago. When it released, I was interested in it. And I don't typically like any kind of spooky, scary anything. Um, you know, I do this every October because, you know, that's yeah, it's good for, for the show. It, it's good for the show. But in general, like, I'm not going to pick a horror anything or horror adjacent anything on my own. But when the game released, I was like, huh, that looks neat. I could go for that. So we will we will see if I'm able to stick to that or if I get very spooked and don't play it too much. The thing with Alan Wake that I like so much about Alan Wake, and I think I've talked about this before, is it's, Alan Wake's not really all that scary. It has some, some scary moments in it, but it's primarily psychological horror and suspense, and I can I can handle that. So yeah, uh, Alan Wake uh, is like horror light. It's a good intro into some of the themes, even though it doesn't really have a lot of jump scares. It it plays more on the atmosphere. And from the brief amount I toyed around with uh, Prey and a couple of the things I read into to before our choosing of it, I think Prey actually leans more towards that. So we shall see yeah looking forward to it and then coming in november because we have planned quite a ways ahead and we like to give you guys more heads up now uh we're going to be doing celestial command in november um unless the game has changed drastically from when we last played it a couple of years ago in er alpha early alpha state Uh, yeah there are bounce this is a uh fairly realistic um, sort of orbital mechanics type game. It's this. What's the best way to describe it? KSP, but all in space. Um, yeah, pretty much. It's a, a space-based survival game where you're, you bond, you uh, do missions, and try to build up your ship to be bigger and better to do more things. Yep, we both got this game a few years ago, two or three, something like that. I was at my old place, so that's a one general way I gauge time. Um, but And we played it a bit, but it was in early alpha. Uh, the sort of core mechanics were there. We both thought it had promise. And then as far as I know, we both have shelved it for this entire time. Yeah. I haven't touched it since then. Um, but we came to it somehow... I don't remember how we stumbled upon this when we were looking uh, at stuff. Maybe it was just when we I'll, were going through our libraries. Uh, it was one of my oddball picks because the the way we both cho- uh, go through the choosing is that you go through and pick out the games you want to play. I go through and usually I have one or two picks that are weird. I think that's fair to say, right? Yeah, that's pretty typically how I do it. And Celestial Command, I saw that on our list. And I saw it that it had changed greatly, so I put it on there. And pretty much as soon as you looked at it, you saw how different it was, and you was pushing it. Yeah. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, looking forward to both of them. 
Granted, I don't think there's ever a Discovery Q game that I'm not looking forward to, at least not that we've done. There have been ones I have been more excited about or less excited about, but both of these I'm, I'm looking forward to, so I hope that I am not drastically, drastically let down on either front. Um, I think so far Game Club this year has been generally pretty good. Yeah, I would say mostly good, I, but then again, Donut County, right? Uh, what, I like Donut County. Uh, I like I would Donut say County. If I had to choose right now, you know, our uh, VGL Awards worst game club game, I think it would be a toss up between Donut County and Bomber Crew. Mm. Hmm. I would probably say. That's a tough choice for me to make that call on, just looking at this list. Because even though, like, games like Gungeon and Bomber Crew were both not as good as I wanted them to be. Mm-hmm. I liked them. Definitely, I like Bomber Crew more than you. I can't remember if I like Gungeon more than you or not. But I like Gungeon. I just never got far in it. So, I mean, I, I liked Bomber Crew more than you did. I liked Donut County a lot more than you did. Um, I'd have to think about it a little bit. Knee, knee jerk reaction, I would probably say... Hey, I could uh, always gun- be, I, I could always, uh, you know, uh, rob some people and do the January one. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> knee jerk reaction, I would probably say Bomber Crew, but Bomber Crew is still like, you know, B, B or B minus for me. I, I would so, put it C plus at best because it was clunky, and not yeah. a, and not a good type of clunky that really uh, nails home a particular theme. Now, see, this is where I, I do enter theme is whenever gameplay starts to come into it. Because, you know, Dwarf Fortress, uh, it's clunky, but for a good reason. It's meant to emphasize just how deep it is. Yeah. Also, deep Dwarf Fortress. But I'm just... Okie dokie. Well, with both of our Game Club-related topics out of the way, go on and do our singular news topic for this week. The, uh... What, what was it that we used to refer to Fallout, Fallout 76 as? Uh, the never the trash fire? Uh, uh, the conga... Uh, the, the failure conga? Yeah, the failure conga line dances on. Uh, Chronicle Power Armor Helmet Collectible... <laughs> is being recalled. So just in general, this sort of thing happens sometimes. What has happened is that, you know, various third parties have made collectible items as it relates to Fallout 76. One of them uh, is being recalled because there is, there is, or is there, there's a strong likelihood that it has mold in one of the inner <laughs> felt linings of the helmet. Uh, I which, mean, that, you, that's a new one, huh? Yeah, I that I've heard of, but you know, there's recalls on stuff all the time, you know, all the food recalls this year. Yeah. Or products get damaged or in some way, you know, and there's a recall on them. Um, but the fact that it happened to a fallout 76 branded product is where most of this just point and laugh comes in. On the one hand, they can't catch a break, but on the other hand, they fucking suck. And I think it's hilarious. So fuck them. Now, we should emphasize, this is not the power armor helmet you may be thinking of. 
because the collector's edition of Fallout 76 included a wearable power armor helmet. It's not that one. Came, uh, GameSpot or GameStop sold a special edition of that power armor helmet for 150 bucks, I might add. That is painted rather hideously. I'm, uh, well, at least in personal opinion. Um, it looks okay. I'm not a, a big fan of that sort of crimson color. They could have done a better color. They could have weathered it. That's the thing. Giving it some patina. Mm-hmm. But the fact that, yeah, once again, Fallout 76, right? Yeah. Is just, what the hell, right? <laughs> Uh, oh, has it Fallout seventy six? Uh, uh, Fallout seventy six is like uh, what? What was it? The anti Midas touch, uh, the shit touch. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Where everything it has touched has gone utterly, utterly wrong. It's just amazing how bad uh, Bethesda has handled this and outsourced things and everything else because. Oh, let's go down the uh, list off the top of my head. There was the bag from the, the Clerkton's Edition. There was the rum. There was the, the game itself being an absolute shit show. They doxed people. Uh, oh, they, they accidentally doxed people that were trying to get replacements for said shitty bag. <laughs> uh, There's been a there, number of issues related to buying power. Yeah, I was about to say they uh, had uh, they broke power or they broke the buying of power promise that they made for the store. They reduced the amount of uh, of the free premium currency that you get for playing the game, so that they push you more towards buying uh, currency to buy power for their shitty store. Uh, they they reintroduced bugs that they. Fixed in previous versions with uh, patches. I mean, it's just, oh. <laughs> it's just, what has not gone wrong? Um. Well. I haven't heard about there being any problems with the actual discs that they made. The discs for the consoles work when you put them in. To the best of my knowledge. And that, folks, can solidly maybe go in the win category. Possibly. Uh, well, I don't... I, I wouldn't say that. Because on the di- those discs, it's Fallout 76. Yeah, but the, the discs are not fundamentally broken. We're, we're, we're splitting hairs here to, to find one thing and I recognize that and I apologize I know this is unbecoming of my character but sometimes you just have to take things a little too far walk a little on the wild side Uh, allow me to say fuck Todd Howard while we're at it yeah fuck Todd Howard fuck Bethesda fuck Fallout 76 what else are we gonna fuck Mm. Fuck their treatment of Doom. <laughs> what the did they do to Dooms? Dooms? Oh, okay. Oh, oh, yeah, that. Oh, how can anybody look forward to a Bethesda product? I mean, really, it's one of those things that 
it's kind of crazy. Anybody that pays attention to the industry looking forward to something made or increasingly published by Bethesda. Deep down in my heart, I still want Elder Scrolls 6 to be good. Oh, don't get me wrong. I want the games to be good. I'm not wishing failure on them. But let's be realistic here. Skyrim was trash. I liked Skyrim a lot. I don't think it was trash. We need to do Oblivion for Game Club. We should. It's on our list, isn't it? I mean, I agree. Oblivion is better than Skyrim, but I didn't think Skyrim was trash. I like Skyrim. Skyrim was utterly, utterly bland. It was forgettable. I know. Let's agree to disagree, right? That's probably a good thing. To agree to disagree. Even though you're wrong. I'm joking. I'm joking. No, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. Oh, yeah. Well, I have the late, great Total Biscuit on my side, so. I'm just I'm just going to <laughs> let it go. I'm just going to let it go. Sorry. Sorry. No, you're fine. I'm just picking uh, my, on you. My, just like how I know you're picking on me. Well, as far as you know, at least. Yeah, it's good enough. All right, um, so moving on from that uh, community corner this week. So for our community game night, I mean, we talked extensively about Warframe. We're going to give that one more shot this coming Monday. Um, shouldn't be any issues as long as my life doesn't fall apart again. <laughs> Two weeks in a row where I've had shit happen. Um, I don't think I mentioned to you last Monday why I was late. I don't even know if I told Jim. But there was some stuff that happened and some people needed to come over to our house. I'm not going to go into the whole story at this point. Like, not because it's something I can't talk about, but it's just really boring. Something happened and Katie and I, uh, that is my wife, for anyone listening who has not heard me talk about her before, uh, are like the most grown up of all of our friends, which feels weird to say, but it's like sort of on sort of the air quotes life path. We're like the furthest along compared to all of our friends. like See, old. Yeah, we're old. Uh, so everyone comes to us when they need something. And Monday night, some people needed something. And it's like, all right, come over. We'll talk you through it. We'll eat some dinner. And then they wound up being here until like 9.30. And I was like, I need a shower. And I need to actually talk for a few minutes to my wife about things. And so I was about 15 minutes late Monday. I don't think that'll happen, but who knows? Life can suck my dick with all of its randomness. Yeah, meanwhile, uh, speaking of random, cube throwing a random Verge video. In uh, Discord chat? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, something about them building a $2,000 computer. So um, uh, immediately whenever I see a, a absurd price tag on a computer, especially from a publication like that, I assume it's shit. They did something stupid. They spent, you know, like $500 on a keyboard or something. Is this from the guy who did, like, the really shitty PC build, like, six, I don't know. eight months ago? I don't know. I, I gotta admit that half the time whenever I see famous YouTuber blank, it's like, Who? Yeah, this is that video. I don't remember exactly when this happened. It but to be fair, the of the year. most of the stuff I watch on YouTube these days is either Jim Sterling or random cooking stuff. Yeah. 
cooking pisses insane, me off less. That's not quite true. But yeah, this dude, like, basically he, he built a gaming PC, but he very clearly had no idea what he was doing. And the internet just jumped on him like it does. Um, and way overreacted to him just kind of being shitty at building a PC. I mean, it was kind of like, okay, why would you, like, as The Verge, put this guy, like, you know, you use this video? Well, like, simple, do 10 minutes of research, simple, but... simple, clickbait. Possibly. Cynically because speaking, yeah, probably. Me being cynical? No. I think it was just laziness. I think that's the more simple explanation. They were being lazy, and they're like, oh, yeah. I don't remember this guy's name. It's like, Ryan knows how to build a PC. Let's film him doing one. <laughs> you know, that's that was my take on it. Yeah, well, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, don't assume malice when laziness is a uh, valid excuse. Yeah, something like that. Let's be honest. Uh, a lot of gaming sites out there are very slothful when they come to their reporting to their at research, assuming they do research. So the Verge, yeah, just yeah, giving random intern Ryan uh, $2,000 to build a computer for him uh, to film it for a video. Yeah, that, that seems about right, actually. Yeah. Because, yeah, there's this stigma uh, or, you know, this stereotype of PC gaming has to be a four-figure price tag on the computer itself. No, it doesn't. I mean, I, I wish I had two grand to spend on a PC. Just like, if, I'm just going to drop two grand on a PC. But if I had two grand to, to, uh, to build a, a rig, I would build two of them and sell one. I mean, you can build an excellent PC for $1,000. Not even that much, really. Especially if you're willing to shop around on the secondhand market. But, I mean, you know, sort of like one of those things that's like, ah, oh, my dream is to spend just an inordinate, insane amount on a PC one day. Mm -hmm. just because i can like that sounds sort of like my bucket list like two thousand dollars would be great but i'm thinking like you know 10 grand on something just because yeah although may i mean if i get to the point where i have just like 10 grand ran randomly lying around to spend on something i don't know if i would actually do that my my own personal values like find that to be wasteful so it's like this weird like i would love to do that but at the same time if i did that i would feel so bad about myself i'd feel so guilty of course, we're saying this while having absolutely massive game libraries we never play. Yeah, but I didn't buy most of that. <laughs> mine's, mine's probably about 50-50. Uh, I, have, I have made a concerted effort over the years to play games that I hadn't previously. I mean, that's one of the things that I've been doing, like with all these games I get from Keymailer, has been playing through the, the back catalog of them and also looking at older games that I haven't played to play them i mean the really the only games that i bought here recently were stuff where we sit down and we were like all right this would be good for game club this would be good for game club yeah well the last weekend i haven't played and uh, like i said i've been kind of on a slump on gaming so i, I need to pick it up as well so hmm. uh, it, but gaming for me has kind of uh, had surges so uh, it's also that as well. So, you know, I'll have times where I'll put a lot of time into it, you know, a game or a series of games, but other times I won't. So uh, right now I'm in a slump because of focusing on my cooking and uh, um, personal relationships. So 
um, building up that backlog to go into later. Yeah. And that is fair. People go through phases in their lives with things, regardless of whatever anyone's reasons may be. There are definitely phases where I don't game as much. But, you know, I think any sort of personal growth or development is a, a good reason to set aside uh, a hobby of any kind. And I think you're going through some, some pretty good personal growth and development here recently. To state it, I guess, in therapeutic terms. I'm not giving you a Steam training card. <laughs> Fair enough. I did not uh, <laughs> expect one. Not from this interaction. <laughs> oh, no, you're just going to extort it later, right? Oh, hell yeah. You know, I'll, I'll wake up in the middle of the night. You'll be standing over my bed. Where's my Steam trade card? I need it. <laughs> now give me that foil one you've been hanging on to for three years. Yes. That's my retirement plan. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's gone up to like three or four bucks now. Nice. I recently sold a bunch of cards up to... Uh, I'm up to like 250 or something like that in my Steam wallet from cards being sold recently. Yeah, I'm not that far along, but like I said, I ha I actually have a fair amount of cards I need to sell. Actually, I need to run Auto Daddy at some point and see if I could uh, get some more cards. But that'll be another time, of course, because I would have to log in, and that requires using the authenticator. And yeah, we are a little bit busy right now. Yeah, flapping our jaws. Uh, you know, going down rabbit trails. Completely ignoring the fact that I would be should be saying the email address vglpodcast at gmail.com or you can just tweet us some community stuff to our Twitter vglpodcast over there as well. Indeed. Trying to get Excellent. us out of here. <laughs> yep. I was going to move towards getting us out and you did a good job, sir. So, moving on to the last thing we're going to do today, which is a doobly-doo in our Discovery queue. Yeah, and Go as the per song. usual, I got something right away. But then again, I had it loaded up, so that's hardly fair. So, how about some sons that are crying? Some, some what? Crying sons. Crying sons is a tactical roguelite that puts you in the role of a space fleet commander as you explore a mysteriously fallen empire. This looks rather badass, actually. Uh, overall, it looks like it's a mixture of... Uh, uh, trip it? You're, I'm not sure actually how to uh, phrase it, because uh, the fleet battles are take place on a hex grid, but it's not the, your typical... Yeah, uh, two, uh, uh, two fleets trying to maneuver on a grid. It's more them trying to just navigate their shots across it. It's kind of a strange. But it looks rather interesting. It's that does look super yeah, interesting. It's not in early access at all. It's a fully released game. It's twenty five bucks. I would That's say it's a demo. Yeah, it ha it's one of those rare games that has a demo. And it has a very kind of low pol or, or sorry pixel art uh, art style for some of it as well I mean this is a this is why I like doing the discovery queue is that we get some weird shit 
very interested in the looks of that. Um, so I got a game on my first, uh, my first pull, Little Misfortune. Led by her new friend, Mr. Voice, Miss Fortune ventures into the woods where mysteries are unraveled and a little bad luck unfolds. Love the art style to this. Very interesting look. Seems like it's going to have a, a creepy sort of dark story underneath, but the art style itself looks cute um, at the beginning. But there's, it looks like they're going across like the river sticks on a swan boat with skulls on the front when she's being led by death. So... I don't know. It doesn't say if this is in particular something like a point-and-click adventure game or something like that. But, um, let's see. Little Misfortune is an interactive story focused on exploration and characters, both sweet and dark, where your choices have consequences. So, it looks neato burrito. It also has a demo. Yeah, kind of interesting. So, uh, me now? Yep. I got hot lava. The floor is hot lava. Run, jump, climb, and surf across a nostalgia-packed environment flooded with hot molten lava. So if you ever played The Floor is Lava, here's Floor is Lava, the game. And it's done by Clay Entertainment. So that's a very interesting one. And it's parkour-based as well. So first-person parkour has been a very difficult thing for games to pull off. So the question is just how they're going to pull it off. And also, it looks like it's a essentially a speedrunning game with uh, different achievements. Like, uh, just complete the course, complete the course under a certain amount of time. No deaths, so it's a, a quick respawn mechanic, most likely. Uh, find hidden uh, things on the levels. I mean, it is a very interesting-looking take on a first-person platformer. And hey, it's done by Clay. And even though I'm not a fan of all Clay's games, they usually are pretty solid. And this one is uh, rated very positive at 89%. So it looks like they are keeping that trend up. Cool. Uh, I got another one. Very rare for me to get a one-two punch right off the bat. Later Alligator. Uh, later, Alligator tells the story of Pat the Alligator, a mostly harmless and probably innocent reptile at the center of a conspiracy that could bring down the biggest, scariest family in Alligator, New York City. His own! Um, it's a 2D point-and-click adventure game where you play Pat the Alligator, and you're trying to solve a mystery according to further reading through this. Um, it looks very neat. Uh, I, I honestly was like, leader alligator. All right, that's going on the list, no matter what this is. After a while, crocodile. Like, yeah, I know. They they missed they missed that pull. There's probably... There's oh, no, that's a sequel. Somewhere about that. That's a sequel. Ooh, nice. <laughs> nice. Setting up the that universe. Mm-hmm. But yeah, looks good. Well, I got one that looks like it had promise, but they pushed out early access, but I'm a fan of these games anyway so what the hell depraved it's actually on your wish list a city builder set in the old wild west with survival aspects so essentially a non-sci-fi version of RimWorld, only more focused on actual city building instead of just war crime simulator it looks like they just pushed it out early access way too quickly though so it may just i'm not sure if they're still going to develop it if what's going to happen with it it 
had a 1.0 release three days ago, so there's no really no time to be able to say, okay, well, it's not going to see any further updates. It's, you know, it's as it is. But, yeah, I'm, I'm not seeing any info, so it, you know, th take this at, with a grain of salt if it's going to be continually updated afterwards, because some of the complaints are it's clunky, there's no tutorial, it's very uh, rough around the edges. But it looks like it has promise if it could be just continue to be updated. So, yeah. So, you up? Oh, I just got the yep. misfortune, so. Uh, Morning Dew Farms, a gay farming game. Well, why shouldn't you be happy in farming? Sweet southern boy Cody always dreamed of living off the land. Now he's taken over his granddaddy's farm and can begin a wonderful new life in the village of Morning Dew, a notorious gayberhood. So, I'm getting mixed signals from this game. There's definitely some anime stuff. There's like a big buff wolf man uh, in a couple of the images. There's also what looks like some very nice, just sort of loving relationship stuff. But then there's tags for nudity uh, and sexual content, which I think that's probably a duh with this, but... Um, but then it looks like there's some kind of basic mechanics where you actually have to make money and farm and stuff. Um, I mean, this is definitely much more about uh, the probably the gay sex than anything, which but I am what okay do you mean, with. Probably. But oh, yep, Nuzzler, uh, a cuddly cryptid who loves to cook. That's the the wolf man. I, I mean, you know, I don't know what else to say about this other than, yes, please. And here I thought you were going to be trying to fuck the colonel by now. Do all the fucking. I fuck those gay farmers, too. So, I got an interesting one. I had to actually skip a couple because you had two on my list and also I had some rather bad ones. Uh, how about that for a, a change of pace, huh? Yeah. Uh, Mistover, mystical RPG with exp uh, expeditions for finding the key to survival. Choose your next step wisely and keep in mind that your every move will change the future. So a strategy turn-based RPG with some roguelike elements according to the tags. There's nothing for the reviews. There oh, sorry, it's uh, coming out in October. I uh, skipped right past it. So, coming out uh, in October, no set date on it. I guess I just scrolled right past it and just you know, didn't look. It does have a demo, though. That, what was this, demo day? I guess so. Has a rather interesting, uh, kind of, uh, almost chibi art style. Not quite, though. With some of the characters having very large heads and... That priest has an extraordinarily yeah, large amount of uh, chest exposed, but somehow uh, isn't being lewd about it, which is weird. I guess, yeah, a little too flat for that. So, yeah, that's an interesting looking one. It, that art style looks familiar, and I'm blanking on it. So, moving right along to you. Yeah, I don't have another one yet. I'm. Alright, well, uh,. Actually, you did this one last week. I got Age of Empires Defender Edition because I got two last week. Huh. Okay, well, okay. Let's go for that. Uh, okay. Since I'm uh, 
uh, coming up short this week. Planetside Arena. I uh, didn't realize they did a arena game. Uh, is this is this is this battle? This is battle royale because, of course, everything is fucking battle royale now. Why don't these damn kids get off my lawn? So essentially, Planetside only battle royale. So hey, if you're a fan of both, somehow, because those seem to be two very different genres of shooter. Well, there you go, right? Yeah. Uh, so I got some so, very mixed reviews. Uh, what does it say? Um, t -t -t very bad microtransactions, according to a couple of reviews. So, yeah, there we go. Enjoy. Um, and I'm on my last one. Uh, you got anything? Yeah, I've got. I'm putting it in right now. Tribes of Midgard. I'm on the oh, I accidentally was on the open beta page, which it says the open beta page is closed. Um, Tribes of Midgard, cooperative survival game in which players must resist the oncoming invasion of giants during Ragnarok, set in a procedurally generated world, play together to craft legendary equipment, and defend your Viking village until the end. Um, haven't seen too many Norse sort of mythology games. It's a top-down, isometric type game. Not necessarily my favorite, but the cooperative aspect definitely helps that. Um, since there's going to be another open beta in November, so might potentially check it out then. Um, looks neat, though. I like the, the idea, the concept. Yeah, so, so my final one on my queue, well, I actually had a very light queue this week. I know. Light queue, right? Is Menora. Ink and blood stain the streets of Ramazuya, witches must burn and sins must be judged. So, a Metroidvania 2D platformer, which is always a fun phrase for a game. Uh, some of them have been really good, some of them have been really bad, and there's not a lot in between, to be perfectly honest. Uh, it's out. Not a ton of reviews, but it looks like it is being pretty possibly reviewed. Uh, Horror-themed, but then again, most Metroidvanias are. I mean, it's kind of, you know, in the thing. It's not a requirement for the genre at all, but, you know, it typically is a leaning that way. And that is a very sexy nun. That's, that nun is showing off a lot of leg. I, did. I like I sexy nuns. I, I just noticed that. Look at uh, her standing uh, pose on... Uh, uh, well, look at her run cycle on the second screenshot. That is... Well, assuming that's supposed to be a nun. I mean, just with the... Yeah, it may be a stylized version, but damn, right? Yeah. Oh, my. She has got uh, that, quite a lengthy slip in that, there. That's that split almost all the way up to the waist. Uh, I think they're witches reading the description. Uh, whatever, right? I mean, I mean, I see a black and white with a veil, right? Yeah. Saying nun is sexier, though. Yeah, well, if you want a sexy nun, go play Hitman, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm browsing through it. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, well, uh, contradicts the rules of the church. They're labeled witches, so they not be... They may not be witches in the traditional sense, but more just that's the label that they're being given because, you know, lore reasons. 
or it can be somebody that left the church as well. But looking at the gifts on this in terms of the video, it looks like it's actually a pretty solid Vatroidvania uh, with a lot of emphasis on movement and swordplay. So that is an interesting combination. Could be pretty damn good, actually. Looks like it's already pretty well, so there you go. If you want a Metroidvania with a very sexy character, there you go. And that is it for my cue. Mine too. My last game was Hot Lava, and then the couple I had in between Tribes of Midgard and Hot Lava were not anything interesting. So, shall I hit them with the socials? Hit them with the socials, Rage. I've been Caffeine Rage. You can find me on YouTube, Gaming with Caffeine Rage. You can find me on Twitch, maybe someday. Twitch.tv slash Caffeine underscore Rage. You can find me on Twitter, Gaming with CR. And if you wish to be my friend on Steam, you can find me. Hey, how about that? Caffeine Rage is there as well. And you've been? Gaming Psychologist. You can find me on the YouTubes by searching for Gaming Psychologist. You can follow me on Twitter at JMA4707. And you can be my friend on Steam by sending a uh, friend request to jarthur4707. And if you wish, let them know exactly what episode of the podcast you're coming from. The password for this week is Quadcopter. Quadcopter. Unfortunately, we already used Trash Panda, so I had to use my second choice. Yeah. Have a garbage day. <laughs> oh. I will admit, uh, the game did have its little bits of humor that got to me, but uh, it feels like I missed it, you know? Yeah. It's just one of those times that art just kind of went over my head, I guess. I, I just had the dumb. I'm an uncultured uh, Southern boy. So, once again... That's all right. I love you anyways. We all love you anyways. Hate me, hate me! <laughs> Uh, once again, you could reach us at VGL Podcast with your letters, voicemails, game-related topics, or just tweet them to us at VGL Podcast on said Twitter. Our lovely, lovely patrons have made this absolute madness possible. You can find out more at patreon.com slash VGL Podcast. And our lovely patrons have also made our Podbean account possible, vglpodcast.podbean.com, which hosts the show notes, the RSS feeds. Links to everything that we do, and I do mean everything, and I do apologize for some of the things Jared does. He has no shame. Not judge. He has no shame. But you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, or your podcatcher of choice if you do not wish to use that. Our intro and outro music is on the ground by Kevin McLeod, and our Discovery Key music is doobly-doo by the same artist. You can find his work at acomputech.com and... As always, as his lovely music starts to roll across my voice. Bye-bye now. See you next time.